Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I would love for you to flip open to our next strophe, Psalmic. That's Psalm 119, verse 113. In God's providence, He nurtures us by His Word. In this series we've called, not by bread alone, but by every word. Jesus quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8. Not by bread alone, but by every word. I believe this morning is one of those times. If you've paid any attention to the news, of course, you know the tragedy, uh, the tragedies that have taken place in the last 24 hours uh, with uh, the shooting in El Paso and and likewise in in, in Dayton last night. What I'd like to do before we walk into the Scripture this morning, that is for us in Psalmic, I want to take just a moment intentionally uh, as a congregation to go to the Lord in prayer, to pray uh, intentionally for those that are grieving this morning, and pray likewise for our leaders, and pray ultimately that the Lord would bless uh, this country and all the countries of the earth with repentance, that He would produce a fruit of repentance, that He would comfort those who weep and who grieve, and likewise that He would unite us on our purpose as a body of Christ, as Christians all across the world, to be a people committed to making disciples of Jesus Christ. For it is only by the transformative power of the good news of Jesus Christ by which one can be saved and by one which we believe enemy and evil will be defeated. So would you join me in prayer before we walk in this text and the sermon I've entitled for us, Our Hiding Place. Father, we believe that your word is true. We believe that you are sovereign and just and all-powerful and holy in all your ways. We believe Psalm 117 is true, as your word says, to, to extol you, all nations. We believe truly that you are faithful, you are merciful, that we're called to rejoice in you. Father, we pray that your spirit would be with those who grieve this morning. The communities of El Paso and of Dayton, God, that your spirit would comfort those who have been blindsided with loss. God, we know no thing surprise you or are too large for you. God, we pray that you would bring people to know you as king. That they, in the fear and in the storm of danger and death and darkness, God, they would seek refuge in you, Yahweh, in your word. You are good. God, we lift up to you the first responders and we thank you for them. All across our, our country and this world and our state, God, we pray that you would bless their families and you would bring them a sense of peace even this morning as they consider the weight of their jobs. Father, we ask for wisdom and we pray, God, that a fear centered upon you would take captive, not only in the heart of our body and our community of Nacogdoches, God, but in all the leaders in this land and all the leaders in all the nations of this earth, God, that a reverent fear of you would captivate that judgments and decisions and, and words and civility would, would rule out of a fear of exactly whom you are and your kindness to create us in your image. God, help us to love one another and to faithfully point other to the, to the true refuge 
by which we actually have hope. You are our refuge this morning. You are our hiding place. Give us a burden for evangelism and change hearts because we cannot. But we do believe your gospel is true and it is good news to all the nations. We love you in Jesus' name this morning. Amen. The hiding place. The hiding place. Corey Tinboom was one of the greatest people in which God used of the 20th century. If you're unfamiliar with her, she's a, a, a lifelong single woman, her and her sister Betsy and her family living in Holland. During World War II, in their home, they had a watch shop in the basement. As the Nazis would invade, they in faith housed a multitude of Jews, hiding them. As they would eventually be discovered, they would be taken off into concentration camps in which they would hide a little Bible by which they would teach others about Jesus while they were there. In that book, The Hiding Place, and later on made into a movie detailing this woman's faith in Christ, this incredible woman, her and her sister Betsy, early on in the story as Germany was beginning to attack and and to invade Holland, she was sleeping at night and heard her sister down in the kitchen. Going downstairs then, she had tea with her sister. Bombs in the distance. She went upstairs and found in her pillow that shrapnel had come through into her room and right through her pillow. She took her pillow and she went downstairs to her sister Betsy and began to say, Betsy, if I didn't hear you in the kitchen. And Betsy cut her off and said, don't, don't even say it. And she gave her this quote, Betsy gave her sister, Corey, this quote, there are no ifs in God's world, and there is no no places that are safer than other places, but the center of his will is our only safety. Let us pray, Corey, that we may always know it. There are no ifs in God's world. The book, The Hiding Place, would be inspired by our psalm this morning, Psalmic. That statement that Betsy made to Corey would be inspired by our psalm this morning. Let me read it for you, the verse, particularly verse 114. says, you, speaking of Yahweh, you are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. My prayer for us this morning as we walk through this text is that as darkness and, and the enemies are all around us and they will always be all around us. Yahweh is our true hiding place. The world doesn't need help always recognizing darkness, but it does need help recognizing the one true hiding place who is all powerful and just. He is Yahweh. The world is filled with places claiming security, claiming hope. Pour your life into this and you'll, you'll have security. Pour your life into this and you'll have true hope, true deliverance. But there is only one that can actually be all-powerful. There's only one that's truly just, and he is Yahweh. My prayer for us is if you don't know Jesus Christ, that August 4th would be the day of your salvation, that you would seek refuge in him, that he would be your hiding place. And that for the multitude of us that know Jesus Christ in this room this morning, and our church family that's still scattered out this morning, that we would 
lay in the reality that we know the true hiding place in a world filled with darkness and despair, that we know the true refuge for them and for us, and we would rest in Him as the world seems to run in chaos. That God would truly give us a peace that goes beyond all understanding because we have the true hiding place, for He is all-powerful and just. Begin with me as we note the first of those components, our trustworthy hiding place. He is the personal triune God. Our trustworthy hiding place is the personal triune God. Verses 113 through 115, reading from the English Standard Version. If you don't have a Bible, please do take the Pewback Bible in front of you and follow along. If you don't own a Bible, take that as a gift if you will commit to reading it. We want you to have it. 113 through 115 of Psalm 119. The psalmist writes and he says, I, have, I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Depart from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commandments of my God. Now, that starts off pretty extreme, doesn't it? I hate the double-minded. Now, I won't give you time to flip there, but I'll give you time to write it. 1 Kings chapter 18. In 1 Kings chapter 18, we have this scene in which Elijah is doing battle with 450 prophets of Baal, a false god. And in this battle, all of Israel is gathered. Israel is called to come out to this particular mountain, this particular location. And in doing so, Elijah, before he does battle with these false prophets putting their gods to the test, the true God, Yahweh, and the false God, Baal. He speaks directly to Israel. And listen to what Elijah says to Israel. Remember in Psalm 119, he says, I hate the double-minded. Here's that word used in a similar phrase. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel, or if you're southern, Caramel. I told myself I wouldn't do it. I just couldn't help it. Caramel, caramel. Now I'm getting hungry. We'll jump back in. Verse 21. And Elijah came near to all the people, and he said this. Listen to this. How long will you go limping between two different opinions? How long will you go limping, speaking to Israel, between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And what did the people do? And the people did not answer him a word because they continued on limping between two opinions. The psalmist in Psalm 119 begins stating exactly that because he loves God and he therefore fears God. He states what the Lord despises. From Revelation 3, Jesus says to the church of Laodicea, I, I hate the lukewarm. I want to vomit it out of my mouth. Don't be lukewarm for me. That's exactly what Elijah accuses Israel of. Why are you double-minded? Why are you limping between two different opinions? If Yahweh is God, give your life to Yahweh. Live for Him. If Baal is God, give your life to Baal and live for Him. But stop the waffling. What a strange thing to speak of hatred and love. But they go together. I will give you time to flip to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. 
Ephesians 5, verse 1 through 4. And as you flip over there, I'll give you two examples of this. It's very natural for us. An athlete, an athlete, we're, we're blessed with many athletes that call Grace Bible Church their home. By the way, did you know Cynthia Knowles, our Connect director, she was a college tennis player and an all-American tennis player, I might add to that. She's turning all kinds of shades of red. This is awesome. It's been a good day no matter what happens from here on out. <laughs> but an athlete competes. Why do you compete? Athletes compete to win a prize. You speak to an athlete, what do they love? They love winning, but what do they also do? They hate losing. If you were a competitor in anything, you'd know that. You hate losing. To love winning is to hate losing. And in marriage, and in, in, in our life, and the commitments that we make, we love our spouse. But to love your spouse is to, at the same time, hate adultery. It's to actively hate that which would poison your love for that which you love. Love and hate, they're not opposed in that way. The positive desire comes with the negative desire for the things that will violate the positive desire. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul gives us, the Lord's Word gives us, a great picture of this in his desire for us as a people for his own possession people who know Jesus Christ, who've turned from sin and placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for forgiveness, for eternal life, for hope in Him. Listen to Ephesians 5, 1 through 4. He says to the church, to the congregation of the Lord, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself for us a fragrant offering and, and sacrifice to God. Verse 3, the shift. So that's what we're to love and to set our affections for, and that means we're to have something that we despise, we hate, we don't want any part of. He says in verse 3, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness, it must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. To live as beloved children of God is to intentionally reject other ways of life because He's our authority. He is the way, as we discussed last week. To abide in our hiding place, to abide in Yahweh, is therein to denounce all other hiding places. Their false claims ought to lead us to say, you're not going to trick me, I'm not going to take refuge in that area. The NIV translates this as your, your shield, your refuge. The name of our student ministry, Refuge. Our hiding place is the personal triune God. He is our ever-present help in times of trouble, Psalm 46. He is our hope. Everyone places their hope in someone or something. Everyone does. I don't care their education level. It doesn't matter their age. Everyone places their hope in someone, in some philosophy, in some way of purpose and understanding in life. Everyone does for your past, your present, and your future. Everyone has their hope placed in someone or something. Matter of fact, this is a, an accusation often given against the context of the local body. Christians are often told, you use Jesus as a crutch. You can't take the reality of life. You use faith as a crutch. Jesus is your crutch. What they think is an insult is an aspiration. Jesus is our life. He's our refuge, our shield, our hiding place. The Lord is our hiding place. 
And they have a hiding place too, but it's themselves or some other vain philosophy that will not deliver, that will not solve the problem. There's only one true refuge, one true hiding place. So if our hiding place is the personal triune God, it leads us as we walk through life to go in an intentional direction. Look what he says in verse 115. It leads him, because he has refuge in the Lord, because the Lord is his shield, what's it lead him to say in 115? Depart from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commandments of my God. The commandments of God are the covenant relationship, a covenant, a promise between God and man by which we can actually have a relationship with the holy creator and designer of all the universe who knows every fabric of our being in life. There is but one covenant. We come to God by His terms, not by our terms. Well, I like this path better. You can like that path all you want, but it doesn't deliver. So the commandments of God by which He loves causes His life to be distinguished from others. And He calls them what? Evil doers. He calls them evil doers. We'll see three other descriptors about those who are not in the way, that are not in the covenant, who are not in covenant relationship with the Lord, by which you and I can be in Jesus Christ by faith alone, in Christ alone. It's a gift that God gives us. Naturally, this leads us to form a community of faith. All those that find themselves taking refuge in Jesus, all of us, regardless of your background, regardless of your skin color, regardless of your past, regardless of your personality, you can have refuge in Jesus Christ, that Yahweh would be your shield. There's room for all of us, but here's what happens. Let me give you an example. We form a community by that which we take refuge in, by who we take refuge in distinguishes us from those that aren't taking refuge. I'll give you an example. Let's imagine as we left this morning in the parking lot, it began to pour down, I mean, lightning and raining like crazy. And the door to someone's car opened. We'll say it's a very large car. I think they call those vans. Right? So, so it opens up and you jump in and it's pouring down. I mean, it's crazy. You jump in, you look to the driver and say, thank you. Thank you for giving me refuge. And then two other people jump in as well. And then other people, hey, come on in. And they choose not to. And they stand in the storm. And they're getting just poured on. There becomes a natural distinction between those who are taking refuge and those that are not. And the community is not formed by your personality or your past. It's formed in the one to whom you have refuge in. That's what the congregation of the Lord is. That's what becomes a distinguishing marker to say, I love your commandments, I love your word. And those that do not, they're understood as evildoers because they live by their own authority. They are their own refuge. They are their own crutches, as foolish as that would look. Now imagine back in that example how strange it would be if someone in the car opened the door and stuck their legs out. And their legs were just getting poured on. Their top half is totally dry, but their legs are getting soaked. You'd be like, what are you doing? Are you taking refuge or are you not? And that's what he said in the very first verse of Psalmic, this Hebrew letter. He says, that's foolish. I hate that. And that's what we as the body of Christ are called to hate. That within us, the double-mindedness within us, we're to wage war against that as we aim to follow and rest in the triune God, in Yahweh. 
Our hope and our peace is in him. So we're to wage war against the double-mindedness in our lives, and and we're we're to condemn it outside of that, but we're to walk in the same direction. In that car, we're moving in the same direction. Being and making disciples of Jesus Christ is your purpose, young person. It's your purpose, not as young person, right? All of us. It hits all of us. Our purpose is the same. Our mission is the same because our refuge is the same. That's the good news that we have. You have the true refuge and shield. So it leads us to love His Word as, we, as the Spirit of God uses His Word to apply it to our lives in every circumstance imaginable. That's the goodness of God in our lives. You have the true resting place. Going on in verses 116 through 120, he unpacks the personal triune God. Remember, the personal triune God, he is our hiding place. As the psalm continues on, he unpacks for us in the following five verses that the triune God, he is all-powerful and he is just. He is all-powerful and he is just. Even though adversity and heartache is all around the psalmist. He takes refuge in his Lord. And he decries of his attributes, oh, he is all powerful. And he is just. Listen to 116 through 120. Uphold me according to your promise that I may live and, and let me not be put to shame in my hope Hold me up that I may be safe and have regard for your statutes continually. You spurn all who go astray from your statutes, for their cunning is in vain. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross. Therefore, I love your testimonies. My flesh trembles for fear of you, and I'm afraid of your judgments. Tell me about your hiding place. That's a question I've never been asked. Next time you go on a fishing trip with just one person in the boat, just ask them that question and see what they do. If they jump overboard, you'll know it's a frightening question. What about you? What if we were sharing coffee together right now? And I ask you the question, tell me about your hiding place. Who's your refuge? What's your refuge when things begin to become tough? How do you deal with your sin? How would you respond? The psalmist displays an intentional dependency upon the Lord. Hold me up. Hold me up. How we will answer that question is often based upon a present tense. Who is holding me up? And how are they holding me up? For some of you, you might respond with that, my friend, my my, my spouse, my church. Well, how are they holding you up? They're holding me up because they're praying for me. How are they holding you up? They're holding me up because I know if I call them, they'll be there. Tell me about your hiding place. The psalmist in doing so, if you're keeping track at home, leads him to describe the evil in these ways. Those who, those who are not in the refuge, those who are not in Yahweh, those who do not trust in the personal Lord, those who are outside by default. Listen to how he describes them. In verse 113, he called them the double-minded. 
in verse 115, he calls them evildoers. In verse 118 now, he calls them those who go astray from the Lord's statutes. And then he calls them the cunning, or some translations say the deceitful. And what will happen to them? Those that are hit with those four descriptors. 119. The psalmist says what will happen to them. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross. And I know what you're thinking. Does Brent even know what dross is? And the answer is, yes, I do. And that's because I looked it up because I had no idea what dross was when I first read this. The wicked will be discarded like dross. Dross, it turns out, is a metal worker who's working with the metal. The heat, the intense heat, it purifies the metals and it releases this stuff called dross, this discard, impurities. And it goes to the top and the metal worker is able to discard it away from the top. What the Lord gives us in this picture is that's what He will do with those who are not taking refuge in Him. They will be discarded like dross. His judgment will be as unbiased, as non-negotiable, as purifying, as the heat upon the metal. There will be no corruption of judges. Every mouth will be closed, and the dross will be discarded. This text leads me to do two things right away. Number one, what about me? There's a lot of dross still in my life, and I'm reminded it's not me, but it's my refuge who is perfect and who purifies me and has made me pure. So church, you can celebrate in that if you know Jesus Christ. He's your refuge. Your boasting in the, in the car example wouldn't be in yourself. Your, coasting, your boasting would be in the refuge that keeps you dry. It's sufficient for you. But it leads me to do a second thing, to say those that are not in refuge, those that are not in the Lord Jesus Christ, those who do not know the personal Lord, those who are still in their sins, they will be discarded like dross. So how should I treat them? I should call out to them from the vehicle. There's room for you in here. It's sufficient for you. Because but by the grace, so go we. It should lead me to a desire for evangelism, to share the gospel with my family members and my friends and my neighbors that don't know Jesus. And there's a multitude there is a sufficient hiding place. There is a sufficient hiding place. The power of our God is just and holy. So in the midst of all this, what does the psalmist do? Look in verse 161. You have a complementary verse here to what we have back in verse 120. In 161, his heart stands in awe 
of Yahweh's word. His heart. Awesome is a word that I use too often. Awesome. It's your mouth do. Awesome. Mouth opening. Ah. The psalmist says, my mouth, my life, is, my heart is in awe at your word, Yahweh. Because his word is true. His life is built upon his word. His word exposes him. And it leaves him in awe. The psalmist back in Psalmic, back in verse 120. Leads him to make this statement. His flesh, his body, it trembles for fear of you. In Job chapter 4, the same word is given to say, the hair on his body is standing up. A realization that the Lord is truly all-powerful and truly just leads people that understand the fear of God to live in awe. But we forget this so quickly in our lives. The fear of God in our lives is, is to impact us. The values are not in themselves, but in the righteousness of God. God will judge us. You remember last week we were talking about the Word of God. It is like a what? It's like a lamp. That lights our feet. He says that. Your word is a lamp that lights my feet. It lights my path. The same lamp that lights the path is the same lamp that will judge us. It exposes darkness. That's what it does. Now, we're not going to look there, but in John chapter 7, if you're taking notes, you can write that reference down and fact check it later. In John chapter 7, Jesus has this interaction going back and forth in which the Jewish authorities accuse him of being a liar. And they say, you're a bad teacher, I'm summarizing. And Jesus gets back to them and says, no, you're a bad listener. Because if you heard the voice of God, you would receive me as God. That's who Jesus is. He is the Lord in flesh. He's the eternal Son in flesh. And it leads him to make a statement that's oftentimes misunderstood. It's actually not very known. You know what statement is known in our culture? Judge not lest. Get on the internet for seven seconds and you'll see that posted somewhere. And it's usually used to say, who are you to say something? But that text in John chapter 7, Jesus says something that should be far more scary. He tells them, you Jewish leaders, don't judge by appearances, but judge by right judgments. Judge by the lamp, because this is how God is going to judge us. Non-negotiable, fear-giving, awe-inspiring. The Lord will judge by His right word. We do not pass judgment on others, but we live in light of his word, and we call people to be aware of how they will be exposed before the light of God's word. Judge with right judgments, not by the ways of the world, not by media campaigns, not by music, 
not by social media, judged by his word that exposes. Judged not by appearances, but by right judgments. That is in line with his word. That is a fearful thing. No amount of money, no amount of pedigree, no amount of education, no matter where you're born, even in the great state of Texas, will bias the judge who will judge us by right judgments, who will judge those outside of this room by right judgments. But there is a refuge. At first thought, our tendency is to run when we know judgment's coming. What did Adam and Eve do when they took of the fruit? What'd they do? They ran. What did Jonah do when he knew the Lord called him to go to a place he did not want to go? What'd he do? He ran. A right understanding of the fear of God, as the psalmist has, should not lead us to run away as though we can outrun the all-powerful God, but rather by God's grace, an accurate understanding of the holiness and the justice and the power of God ought to lead us to say, I want to run to you because I want to be taking refuge in you. That's the goodness of the gospel. That the holy God to whom we've sinned against and sin against gives us refuge. He gives us hope if you'll but come and trust in Him. There's enough room. He knows every aspect of your life and there's enough room in Him, in Jesus Christ. The ark of judgment that God brought. When God brought judgment upon the whole earth and killed everybody, a design we usually put in nursery rooms, right? That's God's judgment upon the entire world. The wrath of God being poured out upon the entire world. Human population being wiped out. But he provided an ark of salvation. Jesus Christ is our ark of salvation. He is our refuge. He is our hope. Listen, in a world that is filled with darkness and evil and horrifying headlines like what we've had in the last 24 hours, there truly is hope in the will of God. That's the good news for us. That's why we can gather together on a Sunday morning and sing. And Lord Jesus Christ, please forbid that ever happen in a community like ours. But if it does, and I don't say that lightly, but the one to whom we take refuge in, we can still praise Him and know Him because He is true refuge. Do you know Jesus? And if you know him, how is that impacting our lives? Truly, what Betsy said to Corey is true. There are no ifs in God's world. There are no places that are safer than other places. But the center of God's will is true safety. So, Grace Bible Church, let us pray that we should always know it. That's Psalmic. He is our true hiding place. Next steps. Next steps. Two specific applications by which we ought to live today and the hearing of His Word. Now hopefully for you as you've been dealing with this text this week and as you prepare for next week's text, next week we're going to be 
really it's a sermon that really partners so close. And I hope you've seen this thread as we walk through Psalm 119, each letter. There is a, a unity through all of these. A true understanding that I live not by bread alone, but by every word of God. In our text next week, we're going to notice issues that impact our trust. And the psalmist is going to take this iron strophe. And he's going to identify these four key aspects of trust that make Yahweh the one we can truly trust. In a sermon we're talking about called Trust Issues. Trust Issues. What are the issues that impact my ability to trust? And the psalmist identifies them. Not only is he my refuge, but he's the one I can truly, presently, and in my future, trust. But in our word today, I have... Two questions for you. Number one, countless voices offer hope and security. So in my life, in your, in your life, man and woman, if you're married, husband, wife, if you're, if you're working in your, in your place of employment, if you're parenting, where you're parenting, if you're retired, where you're retired, if you're a student, as a student, in your life, even as a believer, what are the voices, what are the false refuges that you're most tempted to listen to, to think, if I just do that, or if I just take refuge in that, take cover for a little while, I'll be okay. What are those spots? What are those beliefs? And identify them. Identify them. Ask a friend if that may know you well. Do you see any of my life that I'm tempted to refuge in for my own security and my own hope apart from the word of the Lord? And the second question, is do I know someone? Is there someone in my life that I know is not taking refuge in, in Jesus that I can intentionally pray for and pursue? That I would ask the Spirit of God to give me a courage and conviction to pursue them and to, to ask them, not simply to, to, to come to worship with me if they're, if they're not, but more specifically, that question that I said might be a little awkward. Where is your, who is your hiding place? How do you deal with your sin? And if you don't know somebody like that, pursue somebody like that. Go to a place you may not normally go. Have a conversation you may not normally have. And ask that the Spirit of God would place somebody on your heart to prayerfully pursue. And by, by God's grace, they may take refuge just like we have by grace. We are the people of grace. And we worship our chief cornerstone. Would you stand with me as we sing as a congregation in response?